You are listening to the Vine Church Sermon Podcast. Thanks for joining us. For more information about the Vine Church, please visit our website at www.thevinemadison.org. Good morning. My name is Houston. Like John said, I'm really glad to be with you guys this morning. Um, yeah, one thing John didn't say that I was reflecting on is uh, Kinsey and I were here for five years. It's the longest I've been a part of any church since my parents made me be a part of a church. So it's like it's a really special place and it's really special to be here with you guys. Uh, a lot of faces, people that I love and, and have missed, a lot of new faces, people I don't know. So yeah, I'm just really thankful to get the chance to open the word with you guys this morning. Uh, and I, I feel like, you know, like, like Kim said, I'm filling in for Zach and, and James Garcia in Ecuador. James Davenport, just welcome to New Baby. Uh, and I have to admit, I think it's probably ironic for me to kick off your Advent series because I would not say that I'm a big Christmas guy. I know. I literally have in my manuscript, before anyone boos me, <laughs> it wasn't fast enough, no, uh, yeah, but before anyone, uh, like, you know, rages and kicks me off stage, I, like, let me explain, okay, uh, I, <clears throat> every year, without fail, Christmas sneaks up on me, does anyone else relate to this, does anyone else experience this, Christmas sneaks up on me, and it wasn't always that way, I remember when I was a kid, I remember adults would say things like that. Like, oh, Christmas snuck up on me this year. And I thought that that must be, like, the dumbest, oldest thing someone could ever say. Right? Because, like, when I was a kid, like, I had a pulse on Christmas all year round. Right? <laughs> like, you have a countdown, like, T minus 100 days. Right? Is like, anyone else like this? Is anyone still like this? Yeah? Okay. Uh, <laughs> I, before you think that, like, Houston, spiritual guy, love to celebrate Jesus' birth. No. We all know what it was about. Right? It's about those presents. I was so excited for presents Christmas Eve morning. We open on Christmas Eve. Maybe that's anathema for you. And I remember having such a hard time going to sleep the night before that like, I had to train myself on how to like, force myself asleep because I was so pumped to open those presents. And I remember very clearly every Christmas Eve going to Christmas Eve service and just like, groaning and dreading it because it meant that I had to go talk to people like I didn't really know, it was going to be awkward, and, and worst of all, it was time away from the presence, right? And as I got older, you know, my enthusiasm about presence waned, and with it, my enthusiasm for Christmas. And combine that with working in retail for almost a third of my life, and much of my Christmas spirit has been Say squeezed out, right? <laughs> yes, okay. Uh, uh, you can ask Kinsey. I'm like dangerously Grinch-like with Christmas music in particular, right? You can imagine, again, almost a third of my life in retail, I've heard the same six Christmas songs a thousand times a year. So, the natural result is that every year Christmas sneaks up on me, Right? It's because I don't have the same anticipation that I used to. And over the past few years, I've noticed that the less I'm thinking about Christmas ahead of time, 
Like the harder it is to get into the Christmas mindset. Do you ever experience that? No, I don't believe you have to like celebrate Christmas well to be a good Christian. That's not what I'm saying. What I do believe is that the Christmas story is a relevant story for us today. It's a story that matters for us right now. It's because this story is the story of God promising to do something really big. Promising to do something that would change the trajectory of the world. In our sermon today, we're going to look from the passage in Isaiah. And we're going to see that 700 years before Jesus ever came, God promised to send Isaiah's people a king. And so what we're going to see is that that is good news. It was good news for them then, and it's still good news for us now, almost 3,000 years later. And so we're going to look at this in three parts. We're going to see God promised to send a king of a better type, with a better rule, and to a better world. Again, a better type of king, he's going to have a better rule, and he's going to have a better world. And it's going to be two big sections and one small section right at the end. And each of these, we're going we're gonna to see what does it mean and why should a room full of people in Madison, Wisconsin, 3,000 years later care about that. But first, let's pray. Lord, I just thank you for this day and I thank you for this time. I thank you for your word, which gives us good promises, where you promised to do good, great, amazing things so long ago. And I thank you, God, that you are someone who keeps his promises. I just pray that as we open your word, that you would open our minds and ears and hearts to your word. And I I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts would be glorifying to you, Lord, our God and Redeemer. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay. First thing we're going to do is we're going to see the see that God promised to send a better type of king, okay? And so we're going to look at our passage, Isaiah 11, 1 through 9. If you don't have your Bibles, it's going to be on the screen, but I want to just read it all real quick, and then we're going to focus on the first three verses, okay? Isaiah 11, 1 through 9. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, And a branch from his roots shall bear fruit, and the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, and his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge what his eyes see, or decide disputes by what he hears, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor, and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked." Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness the belt of his loins. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat. The calf and the lion and the fattened calf together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. This is the word of the Lord. And so when we look at this passage, in the first three verses, we see a promise, a, a promise for a king. Specifically, it says, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump 
of Jesse. Now, if you're new to the Bible, this is super weird language, right? But for those of us who've been around for a while, this is still super weird language, right? Uh, These three verses are using poetic language to communicate something to us. Basically, the the message is God's going to send these people a new king. But he's not going to be just another guy, okay? There's going to be something special about him. In fact, there's going to be two special things about him. First is he's going to be a new and better David. And second, he's going to be a new and better Solomon. Now, let's unpack what that means. So in verse 1, it says again, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. This is weird. It's, it's a simple message. There's going to be a new descendant from Jesse's family tree. Right? This makes sense to us. It's saying that, that the, there's going to be a new member of Jesse's family. And now you guys, you just spent a lot of time learning about David, right? You know Jesse was David's dad. And so we're supposed to see that this new guy, man, he's going to be a lot like David. And, and again, you spent time reading a story, you know that this is a big promise because David is one of the greatest kings of Israel. And so we're supposed to see that this new guy, it's going to be a big deal. This is good news. David was good and strong. He, he won so many important battles. He led Israel through a, a big turning point in their national history. He was the leader through very formative years. And, and, and for most of his story, he was a man of honor, man of integrity, Remember who he's called? He's called a, God, a man after God's own heart. And so we'd expect this new David to be good and strong too. That's good news. And not only that, but, but he's also going to be wise and just. See, verses 2 and 3, that's what it's talking about. It's saying the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding. And in verse 3, his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. This is really common language in the Bible, but nowhere is it more prominent than the book of Proverbs. This is the book that Solomon wrote. And so we're supposed to see that he's comparing him to Solomon. This is the new Solomon. And what was Solomon like? Well, Solomon was wise. He was the, the wisest king Israel ever had. And he was a good judge. He had wisdom. He led Israel into its most prosperous era. And so the idea here is supposed to expect that this new guy, well, he's probably going to be very wise. He's going to lead justly. He's going to lead to flourishing. And the first thing I want us to see is that these are big promises. These are very big promises. Now, we're, we're coming up on another election year, right? And with that, we can collectively sigh and groan comes presidential campaigns, right? And now imagine, like the spirit of what Isaiah is saying here, imagine one of these candidates, they come out and they campaign on the promise that they're going to be the new George Washington. Or they'll have the wisdom of Lincoln, whoever it is. Whoever you think was the the greatest president in American history, that's who they're claiming to continue on. And so the idea is if they were elected, we would expect them to do great things. We'd expect them to be men of good character. And we would expect the the nation to flourish during the presidency. That's the claim, right? And similarly, when the Jewish people, when they hear this, when they hear this promise, they have very high hopes for this coming king. 
So the question is, does Jesus deliver on these promises? Well, let's compare. Let's compare him to David and Solomon. See, King Jesus was strong and he was great too, just like David. But when we really think about David's story, when you think about how it ended, man, he got a little too enamored with his power, didn't he? Near the end of his life, you remember he, he would leverage his power and authority to get what he wanted. Specifically, he pressured a woman to sleep with him. When she got pregnant, he killed her husband. So in the end, it's not a great showing for David. But when we consider Jesus, we see that instead of being enamored with his power, he gave it up. He became weak like us. And, and instead of leveraging his position and authority for his own benefit, what did he do at this time? He lived a life of service and sacrifice. Or what about Solomon? You know, Jesus was wise. He brought flourishing too. He brings flourishing. But man, when we consider Solomon's life, we remember somehow in this man's like 50 years of living, he acquired 700 wives and 300 concubines. That's wild. <laughs> if you read the passages where it says Solomon brought prosperity to Israel, have you ever noticed this? The, the passages where it says Solomon brought prosperity to Israel, you see that Solomon brought it by enslaving his own people for public works projects. And let's not even mention, at the end of his life, this man chased every skirt and foreign god he could find, Right? Not a good showing for Solomon. But when we consider Jesus, man, instead we see, instead of building great things at the expense of others, instead of enslaving his own people, what did he do? He went around healing and feeding. Who? The poor, the sick, the needy. And if you want to talk about judging wisely, do you remember that scene near the end of his life? He's on trial there's a corrupt court here, and they're sentencing him to death no matter what. But what does he do? He doesn't leverage his wisdom to get out. He doesn't use some clever thing to stump the court. He willingly submitted. And how did Jesus' life end? It ended with him being obedient to the end, submitting himself even to the point of giving up his life. And so it's clear. It's clear. Jesus is a better king. Does he deliver on the promise? Yes, 100%, without doubt. And I hope that we can see that, that if Jesus is the better king, we have the opportunity to let him be king of our lives. And my hope is that in this Advent season, we'll see that this is the guy that we've been waiting for. This is the hope that we have, is that someone like him would come around, that we would get that good king we need. And as a result, we'd see that his rule is unlike anything we've ever seen. And of course, we'd expect that. We'd expect that. Best king in history must have the best kingdom in history, right? This makes sense. And that's exactly what Isaiah is promising. Look at verses 3 to 5 again. <coughs> it says, And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see 
or decide disputes by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness the belt of his loins. Let's unpack what that means. Here we see the the character of King Jesus playing out in his rule. Here's what I mean by that. In this last section, we're promised the new guy coming along, he's going to be better. He's going to be a new thing, better than anything we've experienced before. And more, most importantly, he's going to bring about flourishing. And here we see what does flourishing mean. It means I mean, he's not going to judge by what he sees or hears. That just means he's not going to get caught up in appearances. He's going to judge righteously. He's always going to make the right decision. And we understand a degree of why that's good news, right? We understand a degree of why a king making good decisions is good. But, but when, we, when we zoom out and we, we think about what that meant for them then, see, back then there wasn't this, like, divide of power like we have today. So, like, like the king would have been the, the legislative, the executive, and the judicial branches of the government. And so the idea that, you know, the king made the laws, he executed the laws, he judged the people. And so if this new guy, if this new king is always going to make good decisions, that means that every area of life is going to be benefited by those decisions. And we see that. We see that in these verses, right? It says the poor and the needy are going to get good, fair, just treatment. It says that the truly guilty will be punished. And most importantly, it says he's going to maintain his righteousness like a belt. That just means he's, he's not going to lose his integrity. He's going to stay true the whole time. In other words, I mean, this guy is going to bring a kingdom of peace, justice, and flourishing. Now, I'll go out on a limb, and I'll say that that's the kind of thing we want, right? Like, let's do a simple show of hands. Has anyone ever been frustrated by corrupt leaders? The few of us? Yeah. How about, has anyone ever felt that the, the system is kind of messed up and that someone always gets the raw end of the deal? Anyone else think that? Yeah. Let's make some bold statements today. Does anyone think that war and poverty are bad? Yes. Yes, these are the kind of bold things we have to say, right? Right, like we know this. Like we all experience this. And all of us, we live in one of the, the most peaceful nations, one of the most economically stable nations in the world, and yet we still understand this feeling, right? Let alone some, some Middle Eastern farmer 2,700 years ago. It was good news for them, It's still good news for us. And friends, one of the primary claims of the Bible is that every single human in history has a sense that this world is messed up. We long for a good, strong king because we know what it's like to be led by people who do not resist evil. People who instead give themselves over to their own appetites, often at our expense. And we long for a wise king who will lead us to flourish because, man, we all know what it's like to be led by foolish people who make decisions that cost us rather than help us. And here's the deal, guys. 
Before anyone thinks, oh, Houston, he's anti-government, anti-authority. No. No. Because what we have to understand is that our problems don't stem from, like, those people out there. The problem stems from right here. Our problem is not leaders who suck. It's that humans, us included, suck. Because if we think back to the garden, we think back to when humanity faced its, its first hard choice. I'm sure you remember this scene. But what I think we often do is, is we kind of shortcut the story. Oh, this is humanity making the first mistake. Or, or this is humanity doing the first evil thing. And it's, it is those things. But at the core, humanity was faced with a decision. Are we going to let God rule? Are we going to let him be in charge? Or are we going to take that job for ourselves? And we know how the story goes, right? They made the wrong choice. They elevated themselves above God and above his rules. And they decided for themselves what is right and wrong. I mean, do you see? Like, this isn't just a mistake. This isn't just disobedience. This is an attempted coup. And that's what every single one of us in history has done. Every single one of us has elevated ourselves to try to take the throne of our lives or others' lives. Let me ask you, how's it working? It's not going great for me. I am not doing well at it. Yeah, I was, I was critical of David and Solomon, but like, I'm not better. I mean, I'll say, I've never had an affair. I have one wife, zero concubines. Like, but I, I'm, no, I'm no moral paragon, right? Like, just like everyone else, I climb up on the throne. I try to rule myself and others. And let me tell you, the, the results are in, and it's not gone well. <laughs> I have not led to my own flourishing. I have not led to the flourishing of others. You see the problem we have? So, friends, the, the reason why this passage is such good news is because it shows us that the good king is coming and, and indeed came. His rule is good. It leads to peace, to justice, to flourishing. And guys, that's because Jesus reversed the whole kingly equation. So if our, if our core problem is that we've all elevated ourselves at the expense of others, then isn't it such good news that Jesus, king of the universe, the creator himself, came and lowered himself became human. He didn't try to grab power. He didn't try to climb above his station. No, he gave it up. He didn't take advantage of others for his own gain. What did he do? He gave himself. And the gospel tells us that Jesus, the, the only one who ever truly had a legitimate claim to the throne, chose instead the cross. The method of execution saved for terrorists, rebels, would-be usurpers. This is our punishment. 
And the result is that somehow we take his place and we get the benefits of his wisdom and goodness. We all have to see that, that this, this is what we need in a leader. You and I have a fundamental need for a good king. And the good news is Jesus is that good king. And so here's what I think that means for us. Two things. First of all, if you don't know Jesus, if you're not following him, it means there's an invitation on the table. And I mean, really think about it. Okay? What other religion or worldview says both that we have rejected God and ruined the world and the same time, that same God has come to us to fix it himself. And at his own expense. What other leader in history has given up his power and authority to die like a criminal in the hopes of winning our hearts? King Jesus is worth giving your life to because I'll tell you, he's the only one who has truly and fully given his life to you. If you want to talk about that, if you want to know more, find me, find John, find somebody that looks like they know something about Jesus, let's talk about it. Let's talk about it. I promise it's worth it. For those of us who do know Jesus, I want us to see a few connections I think we often miss, something I miss often. If you're like me, you love the hope that we have that Jesus is coming back. It's good news that Jesus will return, right? We all love and long for peace and justice and flourishing. But we often forget that the way Jesus will accomplish that is by being in charge of everything. And that means that Jesus' reign over our lives is inherently a good thing. Okay? I, I, I used to think when I was a kid that being saved meant, ugh, like, I have to do, do what Jesus said or else. Right? But what we have to see is, is that Jesus, or that the role Jesus has as king in our lives is not an unfortunate byproduct of salvation. It is one of the benefits of salvation. And think about it. Like, he wants to lead us into better versions of ourselves. Like, he wants us to be honest and generous. He wants us to be kind and serving. The Gospel of John says that Jesus came so that we might have life to the fullest. And so what we have to see is that, like, Jesus' role, Jesus' rule, excuse me, over our lives is directly connected to that peace, justice, and flourishing that we long for. And now, it's not like a simple do the right thing, get a benefit, right? Jesus is not a vending machine. He's a king. The point is, living under Jesus' rule is the better way to live. The, The rule is the reward, you could say. And so I think the question is, are you trying to get the benefits of Jesus without submitting to his lordship, his kingship over your life? And I'll save you some time. The answer is yes. Because, like, we're all doing it. I'm doing it. Every person in history has done it. It's like human nature. It's a battle. And, And I think one of the ways that this plays out is that we tend to hold on to things in our lives that, like, we don't want to give to him. And it's like, so my daughter Stella... You know, she has this toy that's like a 
She loves those like light and sound toys, you know, like anything that makes noise and lights and sing songs, like her favorite. She, she got this toy that's like a dog, okay? And, and when she first got it, what she would love to do is like, just like drag it around everywhere, right? Pa- power's turned off. It's not doing anything it's supposed to do. And she's dragging it. And God forbid you try to take it to turn it on, right? Anyone who's ever been around a child, you know exactly what this experience is like. You take the toy, you say, here, let me turn it on. She's screaming, she's losing her mind. She thinks I'm going to ruin the experience, right? But what do we know? It's like, no, you don't, even, you don't even know what it's like to enjoy this thing. And this is exactly, this is exactly what's happening with us and the things that, that we don't want to give to Jesus and submit to his kingship. And I, I don't know what that looks like for you. It's like different for all of us. Maybe it's like a relationship with somebody. It's like a relationship you need to repair, a relationship you need to change. I don't know. Maybe it's like our hobbies. Maybe it's that like dark thing in our hearts that we don't want to admit's there. We don't want to shine light on. But I, I promise, I promise that giving it over to King Jesus is the best thing, the best thing you can do. If you don't know what that looks like, again, find, find John, find an elder, find a city group leader, like talk about it. Let's talk about it. Because if we ever for a minute doubt that Jesus is going to do the best thing for us, like remember the gospel story, right? This guy sacrificed everything to save you, to have a relationship with you. He's not going to do you dirty now. So we've seen, we've seen God promise to send a king. We've seen he's going to be a better type of king. He's going to be a better rule. That was good news 2,000 plus years ago. It's good news now. But I want to end with just a really short thought. I want, to, I want to look forward to the better world that Jesus is going to bring back. The last few verses of our passage, they show a picture that feels like fantasy, Right? But the promise of the Bible is that this is the trajectory that the world is on. Look look at verses 6 through 8. Things are going to be so fundamentally changed that that all of the the evil things that have plagued creation since the very beginning are going to be destroyed. And the result, you see it here, like wolves will live with lambs, calves and lions... Children will play with these dangerous animals. The result is that predator will live with prey. Children will play with these dangerous things. And no one is going to hurt or destroy anything ever again. And then in verse 9, the second part, it says, For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the seas. All this is going to happen because Jesus' rule over the earth will be complete. It'll be like the waters cover the sea. And I'll be honest, I don't know what it means that waters cover the sea. That doesn't make sense to me. But what I think is, it's something like, one day, on that day, it's going to be so normal and natural that God is in charge that he is ruling over every aspect of the world, 
that we're going to describe it like we describe the ocean as wet. Of course. It's going to be obvious. And the result is that everyone will say, he is king. So my hope in this Advent season is that when we look back and we see what a great king Jesus was, and we think about what a great king he is now, that we'll look forward and that we will get so excited for what a great king he will be. And I hope that by believing this, it'll give us endurance to keep going. Man, I hope that we're going to be like the kid on the night before Christmas who can barely sleep because we're so excited looking forward to that good thing that's coming. Friends, as a reminder, King Jesus is seated on his throne right now. And one day he's going to come back. And and the skies are going to shake and melt. He's going to fix everything. Everything that's ever gone wrong. As Tolkien said, everything sad is going to become untrue. And man, we are going to party. (laughs) We're going to celebrate. We are going to feast. It's going to be like the best Christmas we've ever had times a thousand. That's what we look forward to when King Jesus returns. Let's pray. Lord, I I thank you. I thank you that you are Lord, that you are a good king. I thank you that you invite us to follow you. I thank you that even though we made a mess of things, you came and fixed it at your own expense. And God, I just pray that as we think about what it means uh, that you were the good king, Jesus, and that you are the good king, that you will be the good king, I pray that you'll help us to work that out in our lives and hearts. God, um, all of us believe that your rule is good, and at the same time, none of us believe that your rule is good. And so I just pray that you will work on our hearts and that you'll change us, that you'll help us to see the good things that you have for us. And Lord, we just thank you that you are good and faithful and that you keep your promises. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.